You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Tonight's the last overflow of the semester, the last installment of our Ask Anything series. If this is your first time with us tonight or or in a while, we've been doing this uh, series where you all have submitted the questions, here's what we want to talk about, and so we've been talking about them, and I'll just be honest, it's been one of the most challenging sermon series for me personally to preach because y'all don't ask easy questions, and tonight is going to be more evidence of that. We've got a lot of questions to answer. We're going to try to get through eight questions tonight. Um, every single one of these was submitted by one of you, UNT, TM, NCTC students. And I'm going to read to you all eight of them up front, and then we're going to jump in. Okay, so here's the eight questions we're dealing with. First question, uh, actually we won't deal with it necessarily in this order, but is masturbation wrong if you don't use pornography or lustful thoughts to achieve the goal of it? Why is lust a sin? Why is women and girls dealing with pornography not talked about or acknowledged as much in the church? <laughs> Why are women so complicated? Was submitted. <laughs> How do you share the gospel when you have a dirty past? Uh, is it okay to invest in beauty? For example, proactive, teeth whitening, breast augmentation, Brazilian butt lift, uh, personal trainer. How do you know God has really forgiven you for premarital sex? And if He has, how do you or how do I forgive myself? And then, is it okay to dance at a club? Uh, I just want to get this one out of the way. Why are women so complicated? Submitted by a dude at UNT. Uh, dude, I don't know. Uh, I appreciate you submitting that question. No, really, I don't know if you're serious, whoever you are submitting that, but I'm serious. I don't know. Uh, I tried to get some girls together to uh, give me some insight and some wisdom on this. We sat down, I asked this question, and they said, I don't know. Uh, and then they started crying. So, uh, I'm just kidding. Okay, first question. Here we go. Is masturbation wrong if you don't use pornography or lustful thoughts to achieve the goal of it. This was submitted by a sophomore at UNT. Their name is... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to take it. Um, is masturbation wrong if you don't use pornography or lustful thoughts to achieve the goal of it? First of all, you know, when I hear this question and the way that it's qualified, I just have to, you know, look at that and be like, good luck. And I don't understand how that works. Uh, if you're not lusting, if you're not looking at pornography, then what are you thinking about? I, I don't really want to know, but that might be a sign of a deeper problem. Ultimately, though, ultimately, though, I think masturbation is a sign of a lack of discipline. Uh, it's a selfish act, and, and through it, uh, when, when we masturbate, we're seeking fulfillment in something that ultimately cannot fulfill us. You know, the Bible speaks clearly to lust, which we're actually going to get to that in a second when we answer that question, why is lust a sin? Um, but when it speaks directly to lust, it doesn't mention masturbation. And here's why I think it doesn't mention masturbation. It's because I think it doesn't mention it because lust and masturbation oftentimes go together. And so there was no need uh, to mention it. Um, but let's answer this question. Is masturbation wrong if you don't use pornography or lustful thoughts to achieve the goal of it? I I do believe that there's some scripture from which we can take some some really good guiding principles from tonight. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul writes this, he says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I heard, and honestly, I think this was one of y'all told me that a youth pastor came to your camp one time and he was preaching on this text. And... And he literally got up there and said, uh, so whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That means if, uh, if I'm smoking weed, then I'll smoke weed to the glory of God. If I'm doing this, I'll do this to the glory of God. Needless to say, that God was never asked to come back and speak at youth camps again. 
Um, but, but the reality is, when it says whatever, you have to identify what that word is actually talking about. The whatever here doesn't mean that everything is fair game. Instead, what, what Paul's meaning is, it, it essentially means that there are some things that you shouldn't do because it is impossible to do them and bring glory to God. There's other things that you should do more of, add more into your life, so that your life is more aimed at glorifying God. So, is masturbation something that we should eliminate from our lives? Let's approach it from this angle. Sex is an intimate act. And you were created to partake in this intimate act with the opposite sex inside of a covenant marriage. Now, I'm, I'm laying down some tracks that, that Scripture gives us. Um, we studied this more in depth in the Bare Naked series about a, a year ago. Uh, it's on the podcast if you want to go see more in depth of what this or where this comes from in Scripture, Genesis 2 and 3 is where we work with that. But sex is an intimate act. You were created to partake in this intimate act with the opposite sex inside a covenant marriage. You can do that to the glory of God. So here's what that's saying. You can have sex to the glory of God within those confines. Now, you were not created to have an intimate relationship with your hands. In fact, having or this intimate relationship with your hands has the potential to replace or stand in the way of that intimate relationship that you were actually created for. Therefore, I don't believe that you can masturbate to the glory of God. But there's still a deeper issue with this question. Again, I love how this question is phrased. Can or is it okay to masturbate as long as you don't look at pornography and don't use lust to achieve the goal of it? You look at how it's qualified. If you don't look at, look at porn or, or you, you don't lust. This is the wrong question to be asking. You know, the reality is, as believers, we oftentimes show our immaturity or lack of being a believer by asking the wrong questions. You know, we ask, instead of asking these questions, what do I need to add to my life or eliminate from my life so that I can better glorify God, we fall into asking these questions of how close to the line can I get without sinning? Or how far away from God can I get before it's, I'm, I'm told that I'm not following God? You know, I've heard multiple pastors say that the gospel is not about behavior modification but about life transformation. Um, and, you know, I, I love that. And, and I think sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that that's such a cool sounding phrase and tweetable phrase that we just miss like how meaty it really is. Don't miss the meat of that phrase. The gospel is about uh, is not about behavior modification but about life transformation. Jesus did not come to make you a better person. He came to make you a brand new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away behold the new has come. The old you was enslaved to the desires of the flesh. But if you are in Christ, the new you is enslaved to Jesus Christ. The old you lived with the worldview that said the universe centered around you. But if you are in Christ, the new you lives with the worldview that is more correct, and that is that the universe centers around something else, someone else, and that is Jesus. God totally transforms our hearts and our minds. So, if you're still asking those how close to the line can I get without sinning sort of questions, that reveals one of two things is true about you. Either A, you're not very far along in your walk with Jesus. In other words, you are not really a mature believer. Or B, your heart is yet to be transformed. In other words, you don't yet know Jesus. 
So, has God come into your life and begun that transformation process? You're going to hear this a lot tonight, but Jesus came preaching the message, repent and believe because the kingdom of heaven is near. So have you repented of your sin? Have you believed in Jesus? Next question. Why is lust a sin? This was submitted by UNT freshman. question is, why is lust a sin? If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, Jesus is talking and he says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the question on the table is, why is lust a sin? And here's your answer. Because Jesus says it is. But look at what he says after that. Verse 29, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members. Now, now hear this. If your right eye causes you to sin, those of you who are looking at pornography, he's speaking to you. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, listen. Those of you who are right-handed and are masturbating, he's talking to you. And I would guess that this includes those who use their left hand as well. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. He's using hyperbole, but he's being completely serious. If you're not perfectly pure, if you're not perfectly holy, if you're not perfectly righteous, you will not go to heaven. God's standard is not a joke. It is an unattainable standard. Absolutely unattainable. That's why you and I need Jesus so badly. You'll never be good enough. If you back up to verse 20, Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize how crazy it is that he's saying that? I mean, if anybody was righteous, it was the Pharisees. I mean, these guys were obedient to rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. And they had memorized more scripture than you and I will ever memorize in our life. They were devoted to learning what God's word had said. They dressed religiously. They had it all together. Yet Jesus says not even that is good enough. Does your righteousness surpass that? You know, Pharisees are often viewed as the villains of the New Testament. But I like to view the Pharisees as a gift in the same way that Galatians 3.24 says the law was a gift to us from God to help lead us to faith in Christ. The Pharisees were a gift from God to help us to, uh, the Pharisees were a gift from God to us to help us see that even the best of the best and even the most well-behaved of the most well-behaved and even the most religious of the most religious can't make it into heaven without Jesus. And some of you are striving hard, but to no avail. And I'm challenging you tonight, stop wasting your energy, give up, surrender, like we sang a second ago, wave your white flag. He will save you, he will change you, and he's already done the striving for you. And Jesus says, he came preaching this all throughout his ministry, repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Have you repented of your sin and believed in Jesus? Next question, submitted by a girl from UNT. Why is it that women and girls dealing with pornography is not talked about or acknowledged much in the church? You know, first thing I want to point, about, point out about this question is, um, I find it interesting, you know, a lot of our questions, most of our questions were submitted online. We had a lot turned in, you know, in person, but this one was submitted at 3.31 in the morning. 
And, and I look at this. Um, this was a girl from UNT, and, and it's, I, I assumed that this girl was a girl likely struggling with this issue. Probably was in the moment or coming out of the moment of struggling with this issue. Wants to be free of this issue. Feels alone in this issue. So the question is, why, why don't we talk about women and girls struggling with pornography and lust? I think alluding to the fact that we talk about it with guys all the time. And, and traditionally, it's guys who are the ones who struggle with porn, not girls. But those days are, those days are over. I mean, both guys and girls are looking at porn. Statistics prove that, show that. It's obvious. Both guys and girls are being absolutely destroyed by pornography. And it's an issue that absolutely needs to be talked about. And we have talked about it in here. And I want to point you, whoever you are that asked that question, and many of you who have that question, uh, to a sermon that, that we, uh, to a talk that, that, or to a study that we did last semester in our contrast series um, called Porn Tuesday. It was in October. It's available uh, on our podcast, iTunes, or on our website, overflowdenton.org, to watch or to listen to. But um, I, we deal with it in depth there. And, and I want that, I know that's a huge issue. That's why I want to point you to that because um, it is something that needs to be talked about. Next question. Uh, this one was submitted by a girl from NCTC. And the question is, is it okay to invest in beauty? For example, proactive. Any of you Adam Levine fans out there? I mean, you, it must be okay, right? He was voted sexiest man uh, by People Magazine last, uh, last year, right? Is that right? Girls, don't act like you don't know that that's right. You own the magazine, Okay. <laughs> Jessica Simpson before him, so I mean, it, proactive is fine. Okay, we'll move on to the other ones. Um, but is it okay, seriously, to invest in beauty, for example, proactive, teeth whitening, breast augmentation, Brazilian butt lift, uh, personal trainer? First of all, I had no idea what a Brazilian butt lift is. I was like, Brazilians do what to your butt? That makes no sense to me. Uh, so I Googled it, and that was a terrible idea to do, so don't, don't Google that. But Since it was a girl who asked this question... Um, which, if it was a guy, I'd be a little bit concerned, uh, him asking about Brazilian butt lifts and uh, breast augmentation, to, now that I think of it. But uh, I'm going to answer this first with the girls in mind, and then we'll come back and talk about it with, with everybody in the room in mind. Um, when it comes to the question, how does the Bible define beauty in a woman, most people's go-to text is what? P31. Proverbs 31. You girls are like, I want to be a Proverbs 31 girl, P31. You guys, you, some of you like super Christian guys are like, I got me a P31. And other guys that aren't Christians are like, sweet, what kind of gun is that? I don't know. <laughs> so Proverbs 31, that's kind of the go-to text. But the reality is there's some other great texts in Scripture that talk about or the biblical definition of, of, of beauty in a woman. Two of my favorites are Titus 2 and 1 Peter 3. Um, tonight I want to briefly look at 1 Peter 3. Uh, 1 Peter 3, verse uh, 3 through 4 says... Uh, Peter writes, do not let your adorning, he's speaking specifically to women here, he says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So taking that text, most simply put, again, we're covering a lot tonight, so I'm going to just cut straight to the heart of it. Most simply put, a true woman of God spends more time preparing her heart than her hair or her face or any other aspect of her outward appearance. In other words, girls who spend more time doing their hair and makeup in the morning than they do seeking after the heart of God through his word and prayer do not have this quality. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God is way more interested with what's happening on your insides 
than he is with what's happening on your outsides. Now, some girls will respond to that. Some of you right now are thinking this. Okay, so, but listen to what you just read, Austin. I get it. God's way more concerned with what's happening on the inside than he is with what's on the outside. But you just read, men look at the outward appearance. Guys care what I look like, and I want to look attractive to guys. Let me share a secret with you ladies. Dudes who love Jesus, they do care how you look on the outside, but they care much more about how you look on the inside. So here's my question. Here's my question. What type of guy are you trying to attract? Do you want to attract the guy that is most interested in a Brazilian butt-lifted butt or a Jesus-transformed soul? Are you more interested in attracting the guy who's most interested in big breasts or a big heart that has been totally captivated by Jesus? What kind of guy do you want to attract? Now, speaking to guys and girls, there's really two things involved when we talk about investing in beauty, and that is your body and your money. And God says in Scripture that we're to take care of or steward both. And none of the stuff in this list is cheap. I don't know about Brazilian butt lifts, but I'm, it sounds expensive. So none of it is cheap. Now, does the fact that this stuff costs money mean that it's wrong? I don't know. Jesus? Uh, <laughs> no, th- that in and of itself doesn't mean that it's necessarily, necessarily wrong. But just like it's true in anything you spend your money on, you have to ask the question of whether or not you're using your money in a way that's honoring to God. Because we're to take care of our money Steward our money as well as our bodies. First Timothy chapter 4, verse, uh, the second part of verse 7, and going into verse 8, Paul writes, Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Listen, there's value in taking care of your body, especially when taking care of it enables you to better serve the Lord. But essentially what Paul's saying is this. Your body is not going to last. So you might as well focus most, if not all, of your efforts training your soul, which will last. So I hit a milestone a couple days ago. I turned 30. No, 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 no. It's not one of those moments. I turned 30, and, you know, as I've been telling people I've turned 30, all my friends who are in their 30s, which... That's just sad that pretty much all my friends are in their 30s. Um, All my friends who are in their 30s are like, yeah, welcome to the club. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Like most of the time when you have the, oh, welcome to the club, you're like, sweet, got in. Uh, This is not one of those moments. This club is stupid. I don't want to be in this stupid club anymore. (laughs) But every day I feel less and less invincible. Real talk here. Every day I feel less and less invincible. You know, when you're in college, you feel invincible. Your body feels invincible. My body doesn't feel invincible anymore. Now pause, because I know we got some people who are out of college, older than me in here. You're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, I don't know. And I know you're going to come up to me afterwards and be like, now, Austin, I know that. Uh, <laughs> what you, I'm, not, I'm kidding, not that exaggerated, but you're going to come up to me and be like, oh, come on, you know, you're just 30, you're young, wait till you get to be my age, and then you'll see, uh, I understand that. i got a long way to go. But the point is this. I'm starting to realize that my body's not going to last forever. I'm beginning to age. I value working out, but I'm realizing that my body, our bodies, will not hold up in the long run. Now, turning 30 has been a little bit depressing. And the other day my mom called me, like the day before I turned 30, 
And uh, I was in one of those moments where I was kind of weirdly depressed because I was thinking about the fact that I was about to be 30, which means I'm halfway to 60, which means my next big birthday is 40, which means I'm basically dying. And so my mom <laughs> calls me and she starts to talk to me. I'm dead serious. She talks to, starts to talk to me and, and uh, 30 seconds, a minute in, she's like, you sound sad. Like, what's wrong? And I was like, mom, I'm dying. And <laughs> she, she says, what? Are you okay? And I was like, Linda, I... <laughs> I'm dying. I mean, before you know it, I'm going to be dead. And, of course, you know, she was like, oh, stop it. Uh, you know, it's hard to see it. It's hard to feel it. And it's hard to live in this truth now. But the reality is your body's not going to last forever. So the question is, is it okay to invest in beauty? Or, guys, is it okay to invest in, I don't know, looking awesome? To which I would answer, yes, if the heart behind it is right. But... Then I would say this, why invest in something that won't last? That's not a good investment. Invest in that which is going to last forever. And here's the reality in this. If you invest everything you have into your heart, into your soul, that is going to turn around and affect the way that you treat your body. Next question. Submitted uh, by a girl from T-Dub. Is it okay to dance at a club. Which I'm not surprised this came from a girl at T-Dub. <laughs> now let me just let's, just, let's just real talk again. Let's be honest. Some of y'all cannot dance. And you don't need to dance anywhere, especially in the club. You don't even really need to be dancing in your room because you might get injured. <laughs> and if you're not sure... Which category you fall into, can you dance or can you not, then let me just give you a very basic, helpful, always correct guideline. If you cannot dance without contorting your face in a weird way, then you cannot dance. <laughs> My sister is here tonight, and uh, she's a great example of this. She thinks she can dance. She can't dance. And uh, you just, you know, you don't have to watch her for a couple minutes to figure out she can't dance. Uh, I mean, first of all, it comes out pretty quick. But uh, you don't have to watch her for a couple minutes to figure out she can't dance. All you got to do is when that beat drops and she busts a move, her arms and her face do this. <laughs> you know, most people who can't dance, they either like squish their lips together in a way that makes you feel like they just stuck something in their mouth that tastes nasty. Or they, uh, they, they, they bite their lip like they're really hungry and have nothing else to eat. But in all seriousness, is it okay to dance at a club? You know, we could, we could in all, I mean, really, we could probably spend a while on this question, but we'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 31, to get our guiding principle. Paul writes in there, he says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, if you can honestly say that your dancing in the club brings glory to God, then I guess it's okay. If you can honestly say that you being in a club brings glory to God, then I guess it's okay. Now, pause. It's going to be really hard for you to answer this question if you don't know God very well. So my challenge to you is to open up his word and get to know the God who reveals himself in his word. So is it okay to dance at a club? Hopefully I've given you some biblically-based advice that you can take and run with. A couple more questions. 
This one was submitted by a freshman at UNT. Um, this was actually one of the most popular questions of the whole Ask Anything series. Multiple people asked it, different versions, but all basically saying the same thing. And the question is this, how do you know God has really forgiven you for premarital sex? And even if he has, how do I forgive myself? How do you know God has forgiven you for premarital sex, sex outside of marriage? It's phrased a bunch of different ways. But this particular question, how do you know God has forgiven you for premarital sex? And even if he has, how do I forgive myself? Listen to this. When God looks at you, he either sees your sin or his son. When God looks at you, he either sees your sin or his son. And the determining factor is whether or not his grace has taken effect in your life. John chapter 3, verse 16. It's one of, it is, the most well-known verse in Scripture. And because it's so well-known, we so often just read right through it and miss the meat that is there. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. This verse is the gospel. And the word gospel, it's one of those churchy words, you know? Like if, if you're here tonight, you don't spend much time around the church, uh, you may hear the word gospel and you have no idea what I'm talking about. There are people, because it's such a churchy, cliche word, there are a ton of people in the church who do not know what the gospel means or what the gospel is. The word gospel literally means good news. A phrase you hear a lot in the church is, you need to believe in the gospel, you need to receive the gospel to be saved from your sins. What in the world does that mean? Why do I need to receive this gospel? Why do I need to believe in this gospel to be saved from my sins? To understand and to receive the good news, you first need to understand and receive the bad news. Because the good news does not become good news unless you know and understand and have received the bad news. So here's the bad news. Your sin is keeping you from God. Like you might say you believe in God, you believe that God exists, or however you want to phrase it, you believe in God, but your sin is still keeping you from God. Your sin is leading you down a very fast-paced path straight to hell. And it doesn't matter how big or how small your sin is. James 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. In other words, here's what that's saying. There's this line drawn in the sand, and you and Hitler are on the exact same side because you both have sinned. To be honest, as we talk about this question, how do we know if God's forgiven me for premarital sex? I'm more concerned about the people in the room who've not had premarital sex than I am for those who have had premarital sex because those who haven't might have a hard time seeing the gravity of their own sin. And they might buy into the lie that they're good enough for God. But this is the bad news. None of us are good enough for God. 
You have to understand and you have to receive that first. Once you understand and receive that first, then you're primed and you're ready to hear, understand, and receive the good news. So here's the good news. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. In other words, God gave Jesus so that you can believe in Jesus and be saved from your sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Essentially, you find forgiveness in the cross. Jesus died so that you could be forgiven. His blood, his sacrifice covers the sins of those who believe in him. So, come back to what I said at the beginning there. When God looks at you, he either sees your sin or his son. And the determining factor is whether or not his grace has taken effect in your life. So how do you know if God has really forgiven you for premarital sex? You answer that question with the question, have you believed? Acts 2.38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. You know, why does he say be baptized? Baptism is evidence of repentance and belief. It's not the only evidence, but it is part of the evidence. It's evidence of your desire to follow Jesus and make him known. It's evidence that you really realize what Jesus has done for you. It means you realize that you were dead in your sin, and in Christ you've been brought back to life. You've been made alive. It's not the act of baptism that saves you. It's the belief that leads to baptism that saves you. So how do you know if God has really forgiven you for sex outside of marriage? The question is, have you believed? But there was another question in there that was asked. How do you forgive yourself? Like, there were some people that turned in that same question, but they said, look, I know God has forgiven me for sex outside of marriage, but how do I forgive myself? And I really tried to think through this question, and there's, some, some, there's, there's something about sexual sin that seems to weigh heavier on us than most other, sin, other, most other sins. Sexual sin leaves wounds. It leaves lasting wounds, deep wounds, Heavy wounds, painful wounds, gross wounds, dirty wounds, shameful wounds, big wounds. And when you have those wounds, you feel like that's what people see when they look at you. And you struggle in forgiving yourself because you feel like you've lost your value because of those wounds. Now, unfortunately, we often base our value in the way things work in the economy of man. And here's what I mean by that. We, we, we make the mistake of basing our value of ourselves on the scale that is used in the economy of man. What I mean is value is essentially set by what, willi- peop- by what people are willing to pay. Let me say that again. Value is essentially set or based or determined by what people are willing to pay. Um, a couple weeks ago when the hailstorm came through, uh, my, my poor Honda was just like, blasted with hail. Now, I didn't get the busted out windshields like some of you did, but uh, I mean, I, my, my car was just nailed with hail. And uh, so I took it to the insurance adjuster or whatever, and he looked at it, and they decided to total my car because of the hail. Um, and, and so eventually, or essentially, my, my Honda's value dropped because of the hail damage. Because people don't want to buy a car that's been, that's been beat up. Now, follow with me. Don't check out on me yet. I don't want you to miss this. Because of our sexual sin and those wounds, 
We look at ourselves in the same way that we look at my Honda. We assume that our value has dropped because we're beat up. We've got all these wounds. The problem is we think things work in the economy of God the same way that they do in the economy of man, but they don't. Did you get that? We look at ourselves who have these sexual sin wounds, we look at ourselves in the same way that we look at my Honda. We feel like our value has dropped because we have these wounds, we're beat up and people don't want that, drops the value, however you want to phrase it. The problem is, though, we think things work in the economy of God the same way that they work in the economy of man, but they don't. Remember, value is based on or determined by what people are willing to pay. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. In other words, what it is saying is, what Jesus is saying is God valued you so much that he paid for you with his life. Your value is set in what God has already paid, and it does not drop because of sin. And forgiving yourself begins with realizing this. And listen to me, the moment that you look away from what happened on the cross, that moment where, where God reveals his value for you and paid for you with his own life, the moment you look away from that is the moment that you begin to struggle again with forgiving yourself. I've counseled with student after student after student after student dealing with guilt and shame and the consequences of having had sex outside of marriage. But I've also seen student after student who at one point was struggling with that, struggling with forgiving themselves, struggling with that guilt and shame. I've seen so many students totally transformed and redeemed. Many of those students are here tonight. Some of them are on our leadership, serving in all these different ways. And I wish that each of them could and would get up here and share their story because their story, what God has done in them through Jesus, is absolutely amazing. The question on the table is, though, how do you forgive yourself? And here is the answer. Stop staring at your sin and stare at the cross. It starts with receiving and believing the gospel. You know, something else just kind of as a side note that I want to challenge you with is confess your sins to other believers. You know, I've shared this before. um, And I share this tonight because I believe it plays a huge part in in us being able to do this for for two reasons. One is, you know, when you confess your sins to other believers, and and I've I've shared, there are people in my life, um, a guy that I talk to every Thursday, we've been doing this for years. We pray together, we confess sins to each other. But there's men, older men in this church who, who, when I'm struggling with sin, I have gone to them and I have very openly confessed that to them. And there's two reasons that this is huge in the healing process. One, you know, sin is heavy. Carrying that guilt, that burden, it's heavy. You know, just imagine like uh, having this backpack with like 50 textbooks in there, biology textbooks in there. And you're trying to carry it around. And when you take that and you confess that, you have people who come up alongside you and they lift you up and they help you carry that burden. It's huge in the healing process. But the second reason it's big is when you confess your sin to other believers who understand the gospel and who are outside of the perspective that you have, they're able to 
speak into your life the truth of the gospel, remind you to stop staring at your sin and stare at what Jesus did on the cross. And, and for me personally, these men who I do this with in my life, they are so good at that, so good at that, and they help me to refocus my eyes on the cross. And so I challenge you to do that yourself. So the last question tonight is this. How do you share the gospel when you have a dirty past? This was submitted by a senior at TWU. Again, the question is, how do you share the gospel when you have a dirty past? And here's my answer. Just like I'm doing right now. My past and my present is not pretty. And I'm not saying that God doesn't desire holiness from us. But what I am saying is that he sent Jesus to save us because we've all got dirty and broken past and present. We've all got serious sin in our life. And Jesus died to save people like you and me who have serious sin problems. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And the reality is if you don't have a dirty past, then you don't need the gospel. But the other reality is we all have a dirty past. And if you don't think you have a dirty past, then that means you can't share the gospel because you don't have the gospel. Because to have the good news, you've got to first realize the bad news, and that means you haven't yet realized the bad news, and that's that you have a dirty past. And those who have the gospel know they have dirty past. I'm a, I've said this before, I'm a product of God's grace, and I'm a project for God's grace. That's my story. That's why I needed Jesus, and that's why I, present tense, need Jesus. You know, go back to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, and, and Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you hear what, what is happening there? Jesus takes us and he flips us. He reconciles us to himself. He forgives us of our sin. He violently, through what he did on the cross, rips our sin away and replaces it with his righteousness. And then, and then he flips us and he begins to use us to be people he works through now to do the same in other people's lives. Bottom line is this. We all need Jesus. Whether it's because our past is stained with sexual sin or something else, every single person in this room needs Jesus. You know, we've talked a lot about, we've talked about a lot over the past two semesters. I can't believe this is the last overflow until the fall. We've talked about a lot. My hope is, and every time that we've been in here on Tuesday nights and we've talked, I hope it's been clear this message. But if it hasn't been clear, then let me be clear in this moment. The message that you need to hear is every single one of us needs Jesus. So the question tonight is, do you have Jesus? Have you repented and believed? That's what Jesus preached over and over. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. And when he says repent, he doesn't mean feel bad or feel remorse or regret. He doesn't mean decide that you're going to start 
getting involved in church. The word repent means you turn away from your sin and you turn towards Jesus, realizing that it is only Jesus who can save you from your sin. Repent and believe that what God says about Jesus is true. And that is that he is the son of God. That is that he is the only way to get to heaven. That is the fact that your sin, even if you believe in God, separates you from God. And you need somebody to come in between and bridge that gap. And his name is Jesus. We all need Jesus. And so here's how I went in the semester. Here's how I went in the night. The guys are going to come back up. They're going to lead us in some worship. And there's two things I want to happen. One, last time we get to do this for about three months. So... Don't leave anything left inside of your lungs. We're going to sing, and we're going to sing hard. And those of you who can't sing, make an eye contact with some of you right now. I want to hear you sing. Okay, if you can't dance, don't dance. If you can't sing, you should still sing. Doesn't matter what your face looks like. But here's the other thing I want to happen. Some of you in this moment realize that you are yet to have repented and believed. Like you may have in the past felt really bad for sleeping with that girl or sleeping with that guy or doing whatever it was. It may not have nothing to do with sex. You may have felt really bad for whatever it is you did in the past, but you're yet to repent. You know, right now your back is still turned on Christ. You haven't yet turned your back on your sin and turn towards Christ, believing that he's the one who can save you. And so, so tonight, if that's you, I'm going to stand right here, and I want you to come talk to me. Um, and let me say this too. Like, I'm hesitant to do this just because I don't, you know, one, we don't do this a lot because we don't want it to be like, hey, you know, every week we got to do this or whatever. I'm also hesitant because I know it's scary to get up in front of people, um, I, I get, I'm scared every, every week I get up here and talk to y'all, especially about stuff like tonight. But, but I want to do it this way tonight because I, I'm, I'm just challenging you. Like, you know, when you walk out the door, who knows where your mind's going to go, what you're going to forget about. So respond now. I mean, if, 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 if God is tugging at your heart now, just have the courage to come forward and confess that. People aren't going to be like, uh-huh, he or she must have been sleeping with him or her, or her or him, in other words. They're not going to be thinking that. They're, they're going to realize that, hey, this person, like me, like you, has come to the recognition that they need Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that together. The other thing is some of you realize tonight um, that, uh, so when I mentioned baptism a second ago, Peter says, repent and be baptized. You haven't yet been baptized. You say you've repented. You say you believe in Jesus, but you're yet to be baptized. You know, again, baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is evidence of what God has done in your life. And it's evidence that you realize what he's done in your life. And so maybe you realize tonight you need to be baptized. We're not going to baptize anybody tonight, um, but I would love to talk with you. And then some of you just need to be prayed over. And so I'd love to pray over you as well. I'm going to ask my interns to come up here, uh, Andrew and Brittany, and um, let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. 
we ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.